everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. Apologies for the background noise, I'm recording this from a hotel lobby. This week we've got an interplanetary episode with Francois Tadai of the Centre for Research and Interdisciplinarity in Paris. Francois talks about collective intelligence and going back to the ideals of the university, uh, both in the freedom to learn and to connect with our mentors. I moderated a panel with Francois at WISE in Paris, where I was lucky enough to also meet the wonderful Heidi Haryu Lukainen, Professor of Education at Nord University, Khaled Helio and past podcast guest Joel Hellemark of Sarna Labs. All wonderful mentors indeed, and shout out to the WISE team for putting on a great event. Some newsy bits this week. If you're out at South by Southwest EDU, have a great time. Listeners Oya Labs are having a whole child tech meetup at South by Southwest on the 6th of March and you're all invited. The Eventbrite link is in our show notes. What else? The next billion EdTech prize contenders have just been announced. Congrats to all 30 EdTech orgs, including Seppo, Ubongo and Orgly. Full list is also in the show notes. What else? I've been busy preparing for our live recording of the EdTech podcast at Digifest. Come along and say hi on the 12th to the 13th of March in Birmingham if you're in the UK. Another event I've noted with interest is the Cambridgeshire Festival of Education as curated by the effervescent headteacher Ray Snape. Edu listeners, go and check that one out. And if you're more of the EdTech persuasion, you also might like to know that the WISE Accelerator call is happening right now. So if you want to find out about that, go and also check out the link in the show notes. Did I mention the show notes? Pretty useful, eh? Tomorrow I'm in Cambridge as the Yidam Prize comes to Cambridge University. I'm looking forward to hearing from speakers including Dr. Charles Chen Yidam, co-founder at Tencent and founder of the Yidam Prize Foundation, Professor Stephen Toop, the Vice-Chancellor at the University of Cambridge, and Dr. David Halpen, Chief Executive of the Behavioural Insights Team and National What Works Advisor. Thanks to Dr. Julian Huppert at the Jesus College Intellectual Forum for hosting. And finally, as if this epic run of events news wasn't enough, I'll throw one more in. I've been helping out on a higher ed event which takes place in London on the 11th and 12th of June called Future EdTech. The event looks at the changes facing higher education both from the perspective of the student and the institution. I've managed to convince wonderful speakers including Mary Kernock-Cook, the former Chief Exec of UCAS, Simon Launder, Deputy Chief Digital Information Officer at Coventry University, and Lord Jim Knight, uh, Head of Education at TES, among 30 others including the London Interdisciplinary School, Harvard and the Office of Students, to come along and share their ideas. The event is free to those from universities and there is a listener discount of 20% for everyone else. The all-important code is PODCAST20. Right, that's more than enough for now. Have a great week, everyone, and here's my conversation with Francois. Okay, brilliant. So I'm really delighted because uh, I've managed to corner uh, Francois today uh, from Cree here in Paris. So welcome, Francois. Welcome. Um, you've been quite instrumental in this event with uh, Wise Paris and you were hosting at Cree yesterday an event. Can you tell us a little bit about what Cree's all about and how you've come to uh, launch that as well? 
So Cree started uh, very, very tiny, you know, a few square meters, and now we've grown exponentially to 7,000 square meters in about 15 years. Uh, what's special uh, is that we try to start from the student's perspective and to help students, but also teachers and researchers and, you know, change makers more generally uh, to come together to do things that they could not do alone. Uh, because they have all different type of knowledge, of disciplines, of background, of culture. Uh, we have like 50 nationalities and uh, we have progressively developed a bachelor program, master program, PhD programs, but also K-12 programs. Uh, so all age and every time we start with, you know, the curiosity of the learner, uh, whatever the age you know, from three years old on. And uh, we even have opened a baby lab. So, you know, we, we cover all the age range now. And uh, we basically try to uh, start from the questions, the curiosity, and feed it and put the scientific disciplines and the different methods that different academic uh, paradigm have developed at the service of the projects and of the curiosity. And we mobilize collective intelligence. And so, in a nutshell, what we try to do is reinvent the way we learn teach, do research, mobilize collective intelligence so that every one of us should be able to take care of oneself, mm -hmm. of others and of the planet. That's, that's quite lofty, lofty goals, which is amazing. But, um, and what's interesting is from your description there, so it's the Centre for Research and Interdisciplinarity, uh, which I've just about managed, um, but uh, it's, not, um, you know, a high, it's not a university or it's not a school or it's, it's not a research lab only. Yes, it's uh, both a university department, mm -hmm. uh, but it's also an NGO. Uh, and in fact, the NGO and the university have co-created the department. Uh, and we work with all stakeholders. For instance, we work with UNESCO. Uh, so uh, I have a UNESCO chair on learning science. But more generally, we are uh, trying to be a sort of R&D lab for you know, institutions that don't have them. You know? mm -hmm. uh, so UNESCO doesn't have an R&D lab. Uh, universities do research on nearly every topic but themselves yeah, uh, so and I their future. Yes, I love this comment you had earlier. I actually wrote it down on, on my piece of paper when I was moderating our session. So could you expand a little bit on that and, and where you think the gap is for universities under, understanding themselves better? Well, I think uh, the academic life uh, is full of feedback loop that uh, encourage research more than teaching uh, and even more than the learning of the students. So the question of reinventing universities' role in the digital age is a question that very few universities have taken seriously. Uh, and, you know, reflecting on oneself uh, and reflecting that we may not be perfect is not, you know, something that uh, lots of people do well. True, uh, yeah. And uh, especially institutions that, you know, might be, you know, very old and very venerable and, and very prestigious and well. charging a lot of money yeah. and so on. So they have a good reason to say, you know, we're perfect and we should never change anything. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't think they are perfect. And I do think that they should change some things. Uh, and I do think that uh, anyway, we have to think of a way to scale what the best that they can offer. Um, not the worst, but the best. And, and you know, if you took just uh, the numbers of new universities that are needed at the world level, it's we should open a new one every year for the next 10 to 20 years just to accommodate the new generations of students worldwide. So, like, proceeding with the idea that that's just never going to happen because uh, it's physically impossible near enough. Um, what do you see as playing out? Will it be a kind of blended learning approach or how will we kind of fill that gap? 
I think it's some sort of blended, uh, but you have to rethink the modes of learning. So, for instance, you know, there is several ways to categorize learning. Um, is it unidirectional? Or is it, you know, peer or multilateral? Is it individual or collective? Is it, are you free to learn what you want? Or, you know, are you put into some rails that you have to follow? Um, is it that you have to learn something that, you know, lots of people do know or something that nobody knows, uh, but, you know, is crucial for you. So you really want to push and then you're sort of a researcher. Uh, and so if you want not only to learn yesterday's knowledge, uh, and yesterday's solution, but you're faced with today's problem and you want to invent tomorrow's solution. Uh, doing it on your own is very hard. Uh, but if you belong to an open collective where in an open source mode people you know, share each of them, their you know, little parts of solutions, maybe collectively you can assemble the bricks and build uh, a new clever uh, paradigm that can maybe be scaled uh, later. Well, and that's interesting because you mentioned citizen science earlier, or citizen science approaches, and it's come up in you know uh, a few conversations I've had over the last week. And just uh, this week, I was uh, speaking to a researcher from Denmark, a researcher into hybrid intelligence, and she was talking about using modes of citizen science to to kind of get people engaged in this idea of AI and what it means for their work, and it not just being like two dimensional, but it is going to be messy because it involves humans, and so. How, you, you mentioned your project with UNESCO. How do we do citizen science in a way that measuring the impact whilst at the same time allowing us to be messy enough because we're human? Uh, so I think there are several in, very interesting uh, dimensions there. Uh, I mean, collective intelligence have to be both catalyzed and canalized because collective stupidity is something that works very well. Okay? We've got plenty of that at the moment. <laughs> we've got plenty of that and the web can be an amplifier. Okay? Yeah, and we, yeah, we've got yeah. lots of evidence for this now. Um, and so, you know, we have to have a lot of critical thinking, but we have to have modes for this. So, for instance, in science, uh, the average scientist is not so much clever. Uh, it's the collective of scientists mm -hmm. that is really making a difference because scientists learn to review each other's work uh, and climb on each other's shoulders mm -hmm. uh, in order to see further and further. So that's something which uh, the scientific method has developed over the decades and centuries that allows science to be uh, a collective intelligence platform that led us to uh, most of the advance that we know today. But so the question is, you know, how do you do this? For instance, Wikipedia has some structure to mobilize the collective intelligence so that, you know, the edition wars uh, will end up uh, in a good way because mm -hmm. that's not obvious uh, to begin with. So we, we have to invent modes uh, to catalyze and canalize collective intelligence. And in general, we don't know. Uh, it, there is some cases where we do know. Okay? For instance, in, in uh, health research, um, lots of uh, patients have been involved in, in research and have helped progress you know, what was happening so far only within the laboratory of the ivory tower. So opening the ivory tower can be successful, but you have to know how to do it. And so in a way, we need the science of the citizen science. Uh, we need to uh, research on these things. But uh, one of the topics which I'm really keen on, on uh, starting to research uh, through uh, citizen science is the future of learning. Uh, I mean, the, the today of learning and the future of learning simultaneously. So what are the ways we learn today? There is no single person, even in the best possible lab in the world, that can answer this. Okay? Mm. But all of us have part of the answer. Uh, and if we could assemble all of our answers, we could describe the thousands of ways that we use to learn every day. 
Uh, and so that would be already very interesting. And then you could analyze this data and you could say, ah, but that's funny. This did not exist a few years ago. This is an emerging trend. Right. Is it you know, valid for everything or it's only domain specific? You know, it's, uh, uh, there is so much you can learn through games and other things you can learn through doing and other things you can learn through uh, inquiry or through discussions or through uh, you know, things you learn as a doctor, for instance, only when you see a patient that you will never learn in any other environment, etc. So you could start mapping uh, the where, the when, the how, the why, and the what uh, of learning, and you could celebrate it. You could create uh, a learning festival at the planetary level where we would all be invited to uh, celebrate and share our learning and celebrate the people that have helped us to learn. Because most of the time, we've learned in some environment, maybe alone on a mountain, but you know, maybe you know, through Wikipedia, maybe through uh, YouTube, maybe through... Uh, a fantastic lecture you heard or something. So three people's generosity as well. And one of my questions to the investors today was, you know, how uh, with the kind of market mechanisms, you know, it's easy for lots of investment to pour into STEM because that's what sort of governments are signaling that is of interest at the moment. Um, but, you know, you've been very successful in securing investment with Cree, um, which is obviously, you know, looking at how the different uh, disciplines intersect. So... Um, you know, what's the role of investment in making sure that we have a sensible approach to learning and that it's not swinging from science or to art, but involves both? Oh, so, you know, I, I think we have to go from STEM to STEAM, you know, with yeah. uh, adding the A of arts into the science, technology, engineering and, and mathematics. But um, I think that you have to realize that um, opposing these things is probably the least sensible things to do. Uh, so it's not just finding one or the other, mm -hmm. is how can you find the combinations of both, okay? Uh, so, I mean, today we are in a an art museum mm -hmm. uh, and it's an inspiring environment and what we do know from history of science is that most of the great scientists of even the 20th century uh, not to talk about the renaissance uh, were also uh, artists and and i think we have to develop uh, both our ability to imagine and be very creative and very exploratory and uh, and also to have critical thinking and so, you know, there is a moment for diversity and there is a moment for selection. And that's, you know, Darwinian evolution is about, you know, variability, selection and then amplification. And I loved your point earlier about mentoring. Would you be able to share that with our uh, listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, um, Humboldt, uh, 200 years ago, redesigned universities. And he said, university should be a place where you're free to learn, free to teach, free to do research, but you should also be able to find mentors to help the students' project. And... I think you know, the web, we're free to learn. We're somewhat free to teach uh, through the web. We are free to research uh, if we want, uh, but we don't find mentors. So I think one of the key roles of academic institutions, you know, schools and universities, is to be able to find mentors because that's a rare, I mean, a, a rare uh, capacity uh, that should be uh, emphasized and acknowledged and developed because there is no course to become a mentor. But uh, we can also back to, to why do we need mentors and why, where does word comes from? And, and interestingly, um, the first mentor was Mr. Mentor, uh, and he was the mentor of Telemachus uh, that was looking for his, his father, Odysseus, I think you say in, in English. And, uh, and Mentor was in fact the goddess of wisdom and science, Athena, and she was there to mentor Telemachus. So I think that you know, teachers and, and uh, professors should become goddess of 
wisdom and science and become mentors uh, which may not know all the answers but may know the best processes to look for answers and uh, help the students develop their own personality and overcome their own challenges. And is it true that you used to be a civil servant? That I'm a civil servant? Yes, or that you used to be. Uh, I am a civil servant. Oh, you are a civil servant because you you strike me as the least civil servant person I've ever met, which is a. You mean I'm not very civil or I'm not very uh, servant? <laughs> you have this kind of freedom of expression. How did this all come about? Well, I mean, you know, the French education system is very weird, but you know, I became a sort of a civil servant when I was 19, oh, okay. uh, and I was uh, in the middle of my uh, uh, engineering school or uh, beginning my engineering school. Um, and uh, so this is very weird in France. But um, then I did my PhD, uh, and then I uh, in genetics. So I did I, stu- I, I studied modern physics, and then engineering, and then genetics, uh, and then uh, evolution, and then systems biology. And now I'm somewhat interested in in other dimensions of knowledge ecosystem and so on. But um, Interestingly, because I became a civil servant, the states has to fund me whatever I do. Okay, I, my role is to convince them that what I do is somewhat useful for the public good. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, they should identify the box that should pay my salary within the rule of French administration. But um, 20 <laughs> years ago, no, 2002, uh, 17 years ago, I got an award uh, from the Medical Research Council, mm-hmm. and so ever since the Medical Research Council has been funded me for you know my explorations um so if you could fund anything uh aside from cree right now what would be your next kind of uh project be if you could be really ambitious <laughs> even more so so one of my dream is to fund uh, a way to find a way to transform the planet into a learning planet okay so that's so far, my limitation is at the planetary boundary. Uh, and a, pl- a learning planet would be a planet where systematically uh, we've organized ourselves in a way that uh, maximizes not only the individual learning, but also the collective learning. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a learning planet would be a planet where uh, every time someone has learned something, if someone else wants to learn the same thing, they should be connected. Uh, the first one should have documented what they've done and they should be collaborating one way or the so other, directly or indirectly. So you're not the real, real all the time. You're, you're kind of cutting to the chase. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so every time you innovate, you document and share. So you basically use the open source, uh, open education, open science, open data philosophy uh, to its maximal um, possibilities and you put uh, this ability of the learning planet to become a healthy planet where you know we learn to take care of ourselves of others and of the planet Uh, so that would be uh, really nice and one way you know I think a learning organization should also learn from other organization so the question is a learning planet should in theory learn from other planets so one of the big question is how do you learn from other planets Mm -hmm. and um, I started to think about this and uh, I wondered you know what is the only thing that travels faster than light do you know uh, is it if you slingshot out of a black hole? I don't know. Um, at least, you know, my, I mean, my personal answer so far is uh, imagination. Okay. So if you want to s- project yourself at the other side of the galaxy, you, just do it. you can just do it. And yeah, it's yeah, sort of yeah. instantaneous. Yeah, okay? yeah. So that's, that's magic in a way. Yeah. Uh, so, and another uh, interesting thing is that every one of us uh, could have our own planet or own star if we want. Because there is more star. Uh, in the galaxy and a fortiori in the universe uh, than there is human beings on the planet. So we are all entitled to have our own star and to imagine, you know, if there is life uh, in one of those planets around and, you know, is it organized? And so we could basically crowdsource imagination. 
by inviting every one of us to dream of an alternative planetary ecosystem uh, and planetary society, uh, another learning planet. And so we could learn from other planets, at least in imagination. Um, I love that idea because it's a you know blank slate. You can you can start from scratch. You're not start. You're not uh, drawn back into the same conversations about Trump and Brexit. They're draining our. <laughs> collective intelligence at the moment so exactly. yeah that's a great idea um, if people but then you could in, do the travel back yeah so in the sense and that then you, you bring know, those ideas home and exactly. make them real exactly well one of my recent guests was like you know what would a university look like if you set it up on Mars and then maybe it's a similar kind of idea of you know trying to be free and imagine if you have not just one alternative planet but you know billions of them mm. uh, you can probably uh, learn from from clever solutions there and if people are listening in and they're, they're very excited and interested, um, are there any particular partners that you would welcome um, into Cree or any other projects? And how would people uh, connect with you and find out what you're up to? Well, we have a Cree website and, you know, I've got a Twitter account and, and all these things that you can probably relay. But uh, I think that we are looking for ugly little ducklings that, you know, want to do things together that they cannot do alone and where they want to contribute to, you know, the sort of discussion we had uh, in terms of, you know, redesigning our own futures. And I think that, you know, we have lots of dystopia these days mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have to invent collective utopias. Uh, and we, I mean, we have already a lot of, of uh, artists and scientists, but I think that um, we have programs for some of what I described but I would love to have an artist in residence program so uh, that's something we probably we should invent and I would love to host say uh, GK Rowling uh, in the in the Cree to uh, you know invite her to help us um, mobilize the collective intelligence of readers uh, in projecting themselves into another planet uh, and then you know harnessing this collective intelligence from all of those other planets and then write the second uh, book uh, and then, you know, you nurture the imagination of... of uh, yeah, so to be able to communicate that collective intelligence in a way that resonates with the population. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Francois. Thank I you. really appreciate your time. My very pleasure. listening i hope you enjoyed our interstellar conversation and it gives you the lift you need wherever you're listening into this a big shout out to lovely listeners school head of department for computing mrs r at lives rodriguez who said i absolutely adore your podcast so thanks very much mrs r and uh, you made our day um, so thanks very much and keep the feedback coming in if you know someone who might like the podcast keep spreading the word and we'll keep putting out our fresh episodes that's all until next time. Have a great week.